This week we continue in our series on doubt. Last week we looked at the question, do I have enough faith? And we saw that it's not the amount of faith we have, but where that faith rests. Any faith in Jesus is a saving faith, but living in a large amount of faith in anyone else is not a safe place to be. This week we'll be looking at the question, am I doing enough? A question that we all struggle with at different times and in different areas of our lives. We'll be in the book of Mark this week, looking at chapter 10, verses 17 to 22. Today we encounter a young man known as the rich young ruler. A lot of things have gone well for this gentleman in his life. He's definitely lived a life of privilege, but it hasn't completely spoiled him. Jesus and the disciples have just spent some time with a bunch of children, and and now they're about to head on their way when this young man comes up to them, and that's where we're going to pick up with the text this morning. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Mark chapter 10. Again, we'll be looking at verses 17 to 22. If you would like a Bible, there should be one in the back of the pew in front of you. However, if you would prefer, the words will be on the screens beside me. If you are able, I encourage you to stand as we read the word of the Lord. Mark chapter, chapter 10, 19 to 22. It's not 19, it's chapter 10. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal, you shall not, give, shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack. He said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. As this man's face fell, he went away sad. Because he had great wealth. Let's end the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. And God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. Praise pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I can't remember a time that I've read this passage and not felt bad for this dude. Like, he's super excited, right? Jesus had just got done telling the disciples about how little kids can have faith and and how the kingdom of God belongs to them. And as Jesus is about to head on his way, this young man walks up and asks the question that is on the hearts of every person throughout all time. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Or asked another way, what must I do to be saved? What, What do I have to do? right? What are, the, what are the requirements? Where's, where's the bar? What are the expectations of me? Jesus responds, you know the law, like you know the commandments. You shall not murder, right? You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not lie. Honor your father and mother. And we hear the list and, and we kind of get a little disheartened. Have we, have we done each of those things perfectly? But this young man's not dissuaded. Either this dude is incredibly moral, or he's just not aware of his sin, like the rest of us are, I guess. 
So he confidently declares, I've kept all these commandments since I was a boy. And his next line is, is pretty important, and, and I don't want us to overlook it. The beginning of verse 21 reads, Jesus looked at him and loved him. We know that the takedown is about to happen. And maybe there's a part of us that's like, yeah, man, this is what you get for lying yourself about being able to keep all them commandments. We love to see those that think highly of themselves brought low. Like, we love it, right? We crave it. LeBron James is living proof. Why celebrate greatness when we can just rip apart his game with, and use hypotheticals to let everyone know that he'll never be the GOAT? He'll never be the king. He'll never be better than Jordan. There's a part of us that, 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 that loves what Jesus is about to say to this young man because we want everyone to be on our level. We know that we aren't perfect, that we're mired in mediocrity, that we're sinful and that we're broken. We may not like saying it out loud. We may not like confessing it, but we know it. I can imagine all the disciples, right, just gathered around, looking at this situation, just knowing that something's coming. You think you're great? Not so fast, man. It's coming. It's coming. Just you wait. And then Jesus continues, one thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now all the faces turn to the, to the, to the young man, the rich young man. Can you do it? Can, can you do enough? Will you be able to make this happen? Are, are you willing to make that kind of sacrifice? How does the young man respond? He hangs his head. He turns on his heel. He walks away sad and despondent. For he had great wealth. He couldn't do it. The cost was too high. He, he couldn't make that kind of sacrifice. And if we're familiar with the scriptures, we know that it was not just his wealth that was keeping him from being saved. We know that nobody is perfect. That though he may have thought that he was doing pretty good, he's a sinner just like the rest of us. And since we can acknowledge that we aren't perfect, that, that we have flaws, for many of us the question becomes not, what must I do to be saved, but have I done enough? I know I can't be perfect. I know I'm not going to be able to do everything exactly right, but have I done enough? It's a question that we wrestle with in, in so many of life, so many areas of life, isn't it? Moms, it's, it's your day today. The afternoon, many of you will be celebrated. But we'll be thanked and loved. Stop you from wondering if you've done everything you can to let your kids know that you love them. Have you done enough to equip them for the harshness of the world? Have you done enough to prepare them in their faith for the struggle that await them? Do they know how to cook, do their laundry, keep their room clean? Will they embarrass you with their lifestyle when they leave the confines of your house? Will they survive in that great wide somewhere without you? Have you done enough? Dads, it's Mother's Day. And we're all struggling with a similar question, right? Have I done enough to celebrate my wife? Am I going to be in trouble this afternoon? Are the flowers big enough? Did, did I order food from the right restaurants? Did I, did I make the proper reservations? Have I done enough to let my wife or my mother know how special they are? Or am I going to find a way to mess it all up? 
Obviously, this goes beyond mothers and fathers. It's a question that we struggle with in so many areas of life. Have I done enough to keep my job? Have I done enough to get that promotion? Have I done enough to get the grades in school that I expect of myself? Have I done enough to get into the cool crowd? Have I done enough to stop being bullied? Have I done enough to put an end to the gossip? Have I done enough to be accepted? Have I done enough to be loved? Have I done enough? As I wrestled with these questions this week, I was reminded of a a piece of robotic art that was brought to my attention a few years ago. The piece was created by two Chinese artists and it was set up in the Guggenheim Museum in New York City in 2016. The piece consisted of a robotic arm that was located in the center of a room. In place of a hand, the arm had a giant squeegee attached to its end. It, It sat in the middle of a giant enclosed space and it was surrounded by a pool of thick, reddish liquid. The arm's job was to keep that liquid from spreading out too far and so it would reach out with its squeegee and scrape the liquid back towards itself, constantly spinning and twirling and squeegeeing its way around the room. When people would get close, the arm was programmed to dance and to interact with them, though that was a secondary function and it wasn't to override its primary function of keeping the liquid from getting too far away. And so when it was alone, it would go about its mundane task. And when the museum was open and it had visitors, it would still complete its task, but would also dance and sway to entertain those that were there to see it. When the piece was first installed, it worked well. Everything went smoothly, but as time went on, the robotic arm slowed down. It struggled to keep up with the liquid that continued to flow out from itself. It rarely danced for its visitors anymore. And when it did, you almost felt bad for the machine, for it was clear that it couldn't keep up with maintaining the spread of the liquid. Towards the end, it was no, not able to keep its space fresh and clean. Instead, the exhibit was a mess. The floor and walls stained by the liquid the robot was trying to, supposed to contain. In 2019, the artists pulled the plug on the piece they had named, Can't Help Myself. After I first heard about Can't Help Myself, I've had a hard time getting that piece of art out of my head. Never thought that I would resonate with a robot in the way that I do that arm with squeegee attached, doing all it can to complete what it was intended to do, and failing. It couldn't do enough. It, It couldn't do all that it was supposed to. It started out well, right? Things seemed to be going good in the beginning, but even... At its peak, it couldn't keep the liquid in place perfectly. Something was always falling through the cracks. And then it didn't take too long for the machine to begin to slow down. It wasn't moving as fast as it once was. And to have to entertain while struggling to keep up with your job, with your family, with your responsibilities, with your relationships, with your life, with your, with your spiritual health, with the mission that God has called us to, Yeah, we can relate to the piece of art aptly titled, Can't Help Myself. In the same way the machine couldn't do enough, in the same way the rich young ruler couldn't do enough, we know we can't do enough. We know it, we we feel it in our bones, we struggle and strive and, and push and work so very hard, but we know that it's not enough. So how are we doing with that? How are we doing with not being able to do it all, with not being able to do enough? This is when the doubt sets in, right? 
The young man asked Jesus what it would take to inherit eternal life. And man, even if he is lying to himself, he was able to get so much more done than I have. He was able to live such a better life than I have. What hope is there for me, though I couldn't keep up with that dude? Have I done enough? And church, the answer that Jesus gives to us is the same one he gave to the rich young ruler. He looks on us with love because he loves us so much, but he loves us too much to lie to us. His perfection wouldn't allow him to lie to us anyway. Deceit isn't part of his makeup, but he looks on us and he points out the areas that we struggle the most. He knows the places that we have fallen short. He knows the areas that we don't want others to know about. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our flaws. And he loves us in spite of them. But that love does not stop him from giving us the same truth he leveled at the rich young ruler. Jesus hears our question of if we have done enough and responds lovingly, no. No, you have not. And so the doubt that has been in our hearts is manifest by the words of Christ. We knew it, right? We knew that we couldn't do it. This is terrible. What, what hope do we have? Now what? Where, where do we go from here? Well, I would like us to go from the book of Mark to the book of Acts. And we'll be looking at chapter 16. And we'll be going from verses 29 to 34. To set the scene, Paul and Silas have been on a missionary trip to Philippi. While they were there, a young female slave who was possessed by a spirit and could tell people the future followed them around, proclaiming to everyone that these two men were servants of the Most High God and that their message led to salvation. I always found this part interesting because apparently she got to the point of being annoying. She's proclaiming the truth, but she got annoying to Paul. So he turns and in the name of Jesus casts the spirit out of her. Now her handlers, they're not very happy about this. They've made a ton of money off her predictions of the future, and so they cause an uproar, the result of which Paul and Silas go to jail. While in prison, Paul and Silas aren't moping around like the rest of the inmates, but are singing praises to God, and those imprisoned in the cells around them listen to their songs. And then a massive earthquake hits. All the cell doors are, are opened, and the chains of each prisoner are loosened so that they all have the opportunity to escape. The jailer wakes up and sees what has taken place, and he freaks out. Though it is an act of nature, he will be held responsible if any prisoner escapes, and it would be better for him to die than to face that punishment. So he draws his sword and prepares to kill himself. But Paul shouts out to him, don't harm yourself. Don't do it. See, we are, we are all here. None of us have escaped. And that's where we're going to pick up with the text again. It's Acts 16, 29 to 34, where we read, The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So pausing there, we have the question again, don't we? This time from a, from a Gentile, he's not a rich young ruler. Instead, he's a Philippian jailer. But the question in the heart of each man is the same. And, there, and, and it echoes, their questions echo the questions of our own hearts. What must we do to be saved? Listen to the answer that the jailer receives. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. 
At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So what's going on here? Why the two different responses to the question? Why did Paul and Silas not respond to the jailer as Jesus responded to the rich young man? The young ruler was asking the question from what he believed was a position of strength. Look at all the good that he had done. Surely he could earn his way into salvation. Surely he had done enough. The jailer, however, knew that he had failed. Knew that he had not done what was expected of him, even if those expectations were unattainable. Who could keep all the prisoners in their cells after an earthquake, an act of God, had set them all free? Who could do it? Who who could expect it? But the jailer knew that there would be no exceptions. The expectations had been set, and he had not met them. And so he asks Paul and Silas the question from a place of weakness. His heart is prepared for the answer he receives. Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Instead of a list of demands, the jailer is given grace. He is given hope and he is given faith as he brings Paul and Silas back to his house where the whole family, young and old alike, are baptized and come to believe in God. Some of us may struggle with the order that those events took place. Paul didn't. Silas didn't. God didn't. They were baptized and then they believed. God working through his means of grace to give the family of the Philippian jailer faith. Here we see what Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus and what Fusia read for us earlier in action, right? Ephesians chapter 2, 8 to 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We aren't saved by what we do, for we cannot do enough ever. We are not good enough. No, we are saved by faith. We are saved by believing in Jesus, the one who came and lived among us, the one who ate with us, who cast out our demons and who healed our sick, who taught us, laughed with us, and loved us, loved us so much, That even though we betrayed him, he still carried the cross up the hill to Golgotha, to the place of the skull, to Calvary. With that cross, he carried not just the heavy wooden timbers, but the sin of the world was upon his shoulders. And as the nails went through his hands and his feet, and as he was lifted up, put on display, that he might be mocked and jeered, as Jesus was on the cross, the Bible tells us that he became sin for us, that every time we didn't do enough, Every time we couldn't keep up with our responsibilities, that every time we failed to be the mother that we're supposed to be, the father we're supposed to be, the child we are supposed to be, the employee, the employer, the pastor, the coach, the teacher, the friend, the sister, the brother, whatever it is, whatever the expectations are that we know we're supposed to meet and we didn't, for every time we haven't done enough, Christ took it. And there on the cross, he became it. And there on the cross, he died for it. There on the cross, he died for us, paying the price that we had no hope of ever paying. He looked at us and said, no, 
You have not done enough. And so he did it for us. But he did not stay dead. Three days later, Jesus rose from the grave, defeating sin and death, and it is when we believe in him, when we have faith in him, that all the promises of the cross and the resurrection are ours. Through faith, we live in the benefits of forgiveness. Through faith, the dirty rags of our sins are taken from us and we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Through faith, we are brought into the family of God and declared heirs with Jesus. Through faith, we have hope. Through faith, we are saved, not through works, but through believing in Jesus Christ. And not just believing that he exists. As we talked about in a previous sermon, there's ample evidence in creation in the world around us for a creator, for a higher power. It isn't a, a crazy stretch to believe in a God. No, do we believe in Jesus? Do we believe in the need that we have and how he met it? Do we believe that he is who he says he is and that he did what he says he did and that he will do what he says he will do? I pray that you do, church, for it is only through belief in Christ, it is only through faith, that we have the answer to our question of if we have done enough and if we are saved. Have we done enough? No. But Christ has. And so through faith we are saved. For in faith we rejoice, we rest, not in what we have done, but what Christ has done. And there's a bit of warning for us here as well. Are we approaching the throne of God like the rich young ruler intent on showing how great we are? Planning on making our way to heaven by the works of our hands? Or are we approaching the throne of God like the Philippian jailer? Aware of our need. Without hope in ourselves, recognizing that our only chance comes from Christ. Our only hope comes from Christ and his work on the cross for us. I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord this morning, but know that God is calling you into relationship with him. For some of us, that might be a first-time thing. For some of us, it means being called deeper into the relationship that we already have. And as we go through this life and as we experience victories and failures and as we push forward in parenting and working and mission, let us push hard. Let us run the race well. Let us live as God has called us to live. Let us love our neighbor well. And when we struggle and we ask the question, am I doing enough, may we not get discouraged by the realization that we are not. Instead, may we be encouraged by the one who did, by Jesus and his love for us and what that love means for those who believe. For Christ is enough. What a fantastic, gracious, merciful, faithful, and loving God we serve. Amen.